This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 5th of July 2021. And last week, Norman, when we were talking, we had about half the Australian population living in lockdown. Uh, Thankfully, over the weekend, that's eased a bit. Most of the places in Australia have come out of lockdown, still under some restrictions, with the exception, of course, of Greater Sydney and some of the surrounding areas there. That was the outbreak that was most concerning. There was a lot of people in that. Are we starting to see those numbers come under control yet? Well, yesterday there was one day of tailing off of the numbers, so from 30-odd to down to 16. Um, a lot of these people were already in isolation, which is fantastic news. I think one or two of them in partial isolation and only a couple under investigation. So that's the sort of numbers you've got to be looking for, is that it's a great situation that people are becoming positive when they're in isolation. And when you look at Queensland, for example, before we come back to New South Wales, Queensland went out of lockdown without being at zero. And it was for that, those sort of statistics. So we're seeing a bit of realism around the country that you don't have to be at zero to come out of lockdown. That's what we saw with the recent Victorian outbreak as well. We'd been, we'd been obsessed with zeros and donut days for a while, but it does seem like there's been a bit more of a shift towards if people are in isolation, if the contact tracers have a handle on where things are coming from, the whole city doesn't have to be in a lockdown anymore. Yeah, there are, there are, there are several variables here, and the crudest variable of which is the number of cases. But buried within that are really important data. Uh, such as the ones we've just been talking about. One of the sources of concern still, though, in New South Wales is that it's gotten into aged care and there still seems to be a large number of aged care workers who aren't vaccinated. Even though residents are vaccinated, the workers still aren't, and that is how the virus gets in. That's right, and as we've said many times on Coronacast, it's not visitors who bring it in, particularly in a lockdown, it's staff who bring it in, and staff are in high-risk situations, and you see, uh, and that's what you've seen here. Now, they may still have brought it in, by the way, if they'd been vaccinated, but they were, they'd have been less likely to pass it on, almost certainly, because when you're vaccinated, A, you're less likely to be infected, but if you are infected, you've probably got less virus on board. But here you've got the outrageous, really is outrageous situation where staff are still not immunised. And it's a huge failure. But luckily, most of the residents were immunised and some who were immunised got infected. But they don't seem to be terribly sick. There's this... (laughs) It is a frustrating narrative when people say, well, oh, you can still transmit the virus when you've been vaccinated or you can still catch it if you've been vaccinated. But the overall risk, like you say, of the the transmission risk, the infection risk and then the disease severity risk are all just turned right down like you're just reducing the risk. It doesn't have to be zero to be worth doing. That's right. And just before we move on to that topic... Um, it's, it's important to appreciate that around the world, vaccine experts are beginning to realise that older people may not generate as strong an immune response, even to the Pfizer vaccine, as others. And it may well be that we need a third dose strategy, not just for people who've had Astra as a booster to get you up to Pfizer levels for protection, and that's not protection against severe disease, that's protection against infection. You may need a three-dose program for older people eventually and you certainly will almost certainly need it for people who are immunocompromised and that's what they're doing in France. Trouble is not a lot of evidence yet but that will grow. Let's get some more Australians their first doses first though. That's right. So we've got another week or just less than a week to go on the Sydney lockdown. Do you reckon it'll be enough? Um, You asked me to take a punt here. My punt will be that yes it is but um, I might well be 
um, contradicted later on today when they have the New South Wales press conference and they announce their numbers. So I'm not, you know, I'm not privy to any of that. But my guess is that they will bring this under control and bring it home by Friday. Mm, it sounds like it's going in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, if it had been 30, 30, 30, and I would have said it's highly unlikely, but really good signs yesterday. So while we're talking about lockdowns, let's talk about this roadmap or this phased return to some level of normalcy that the Prime Minister announced on Friday. It was good to see at least a plan towards, you know, what what kind of a return to normal could look like, but it still seemed like it lacked a lot of detail and was very long. It um, lacked any detail, really. It just, at a high level, said here are the four stages that we're going to move through without really dates or targets attached, saying that they're waiting for modelling. Well, there is modelling. Um, Ryan McIntyre has done modelling at the University of New South Wales. This is modelling looking at how many people need to be vaccinated, like a threshold of numbers for, so that we can start to open up. Yes, and there's two aspects to the modelling. One is herd immunity. So for herd immunity... It's got to be very high, particularly if you've got Astra in a large part of the community where the Astra's got a lower protection against infection. That's why you're going to need a booster towards the end of the year. So you're talking about 80, 90 percent if what you're talking about is herd immunity. And before I go any further, uh, and people really need to watch this number, and you're not necessarily going to see it well represented by the federal or state governments, is that averages hide details. And so we might get up to what looks like good averages in terms of immunisation. But the people in this country who are really vulnerable and vulnerable to low rates of immunisation are Aboriginal communities who have excellent health services and a good history of immunisation, and that's picking up now. Other disadvantaged groups, particularly people whose, for whom English is, is not a first language, for who, to whom we are not communicating well. And we've got to make sure that disadvantaged groups are getting vaccine and getting well vaccinated and that that's an important criterion before we start opening up. Because if we do it on a crude average, we've got a problem. But 80 or 90% is probably where we need to be in terms of protection against severe disease. And that's 12 years upwards. Eight people aged 12 and up. People aged 12 and up to get that level of herd immunity so there's very little virus circulating in the community or much less than now. So the TGA really has to get on its bike and approve Pfizer for people aged 12 and above. And once you're there, then you'll start to get that group immunised. There is, there is a side effect of that, a consequence of that, which is the virus will keep on finding vulnerable groups and they'll find people, young kids younger than 12 years old to infect, but they don't get seriously ill. But eventually we are, at some point in the future, going to have to immunise children under 12. But again, just because we don't have the perfect solution yet doesn't mean we shouldn't just throw up our hands and not try. Like We've got to start phased move towards population vaccination. We've got to have targets, but obviously creating targets when they don't have supply, going back to procurement, when they don't have supply is a real issue. But unless they're targets, I'm not quite sure how Lieutenant General Fruin is going to achieve even the things that he's talked about. But those aren't targets. Those are what he expects the performance of the system to be. But we should really have a target here. And as we've said on CoronaCast before, the hard target would be saying on the 31st of January 2022, we're open for business internationally and just watch the queues snake around the corner. We keep hearing that there'll be much more Pfizer available in the fourth quarter of this year. 
If it all comes at once, does the system actually have the capacity to then roll that out to the number of people so that people can truly be truly have the opportunity to be covered by the end of the year? It is a bit indigestible when it, if it all comes, say, November, December, rather than starts in an even way in October. Um, and that will be a problem. Low-income countries, by the way, are very good at doing this. You just get football fields, you just get, you have mass areas for doing it, you distribute widely to GPs and you just make sure that people get it. But we're not even at 200,000 doses a day. Well, we'll get to 200,000 doses a day, which is pretty good by international standards. But to achieve the notional targets that seem to lie behind the Prime Minister's comments, we probably need to be at 400,000 a day. And I'm not sure any country in the world has achieved that equivalent for their population. But we, sh- we could do it. We've got lots of GPs. We've got lots of facilities. We've got lots of staff. It could be done. And for all the talk about vaccine hesitancy, we've got so many people who are so keen and they're just not eligible yet or they just haven't had access yet. I actually don't believe there are a lot of Australians who are truly hesitant. I suspect that when Pfizer comes on stream and when we know that imminently there's going to be a lifting of borders, people will get it done. 95% of us get our children immunised in the first year of life. And yes, that is a a balance between carrots and sticks. And most people want to just protect our children. We haven't seen polio. We haven't seen much measles around us or or many of the other diseases. But we still get our kids immunised. We don't have to have COVID-19 around for us to get immunised. And I think Australians will. And I think we could achieve 90-95%. So the population achieves what we managed to achieve in the first year of life with measles, mumps, whooping cough. And there's plenty of Australians who uh, don't have to wait for Pfizer to come online to get their vaccine. Anne is actually one of them. She's had AstraZeneca, but she's wanting to know whether she is going to end up getting another COVID shot next year. I think so. I think that um, you will get Pfizer or Moderna just, or even Novavax as a top-up. That's probably going to be as much to protect against variants, but also to top up your immunity. I suspect they don't want to take a risk knowing how long you know, to find out how long immunity lasts by having an outbreak. And we've had more questions about this. Uh, Margaret's also asking about w- lots of other countries, the US, the UK and Canada and some European countries are now mixing and matching vaccines. Is Australia going to follow suit? We will eventually, but we don't have the Pfizer supply to do that. So if you've had Astra, you need to get a second dose of Astra to allow people who are younger to get two doses of Pfizer. And we really got to get the first dose of Pfizer into the the under 60s in mass numbers so they're eligible for a second dose. Those who have had Astra, get the second dose of Astra and then get a booster towards the end of this year. And it's not just about giving away your shot to someone younger for their benefit. It's also you need that second dose of Astra if that's the vaccine that's available to you to get you up to that really high level of immunity that's going to protect you against disease. That's right, to, and protect against severe disease. And just remember what we're talking about here is preventing hospitalisation, preventing death and serious illness. And there's not much difference between Astra and Pfizer, at least with the current variants. So you just got to get it done because that's the conversion we need And when you look at the UK, even though they've got a surge in Delta infections and a surge in hospitalizations, it's off a low base. And they reckon they've prevented 7 million infections and about 27,000 hospitalizations. So it's doing the job. um, But there is a bit of escape with the Delta variant. There's no question about that. But unless we've got two doses, we've got nowhere to go. 
And just a quick comment from both Sian and Catherine, who are immunizers, saying that it's been it's pretty out of date that um, Australian immunizers are taught to draw back on the syringe before giving a an injection, like we were talking about on Friday's CoronaCast. I'm well aware it's out of date, but the, the if the evidence is that maybe direct injection into a, bl- a blood vessel is a potential facilitator of the clotting syndrome, then maybe you do. Now, the problem is that the needle is very small and very narrow. That's why, it's, that's why it doesn't hurt to get the injection. It's just a tiny little needle. So aspiration may be pointless because it doesn't tell you that you're in the vein because the needle is just simply not big enough to be able to significantly draw back blood. Well, as always, don't take your medical advice from a podcast. Um, wait for official recommendations from the TGA, but that's all we've got time for on CoronaCast today. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>